Psalm 34. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glorify in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. And those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him, and he saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Taste and see that our Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. Come, my children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. Our Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones, and not one of them will be broken. Will you guys sing that chorus one more time for us? Father, we just thank you that you're here today. We thank you that you call us your people and you call us your children. And and when we cry out, you hear us. You hear us when we cry to you. You hear us when we gather together and we lift your name high. And you're pleased with us. And we thank you for that. We thank you that you love us. When we don't deserve it, you love us. And you invite us into your presence and you invite us to your table. So, Father, no matter what we carry into this place today, no matter what we bring into this house, we know that you are present with us. We know that you are here with us. We know that you hear us when we cry to you because you are a good father who loves his kids. And we exalt you. We gather today to lift your name high. We want to see you made great in this earth. That is why we exist. We exist to make much of you. So, Father, today, as we, as we continue with this service and as we dive into your word, we ask that you would be made much of. You are our goal. You are what we want, Jesus. We exist for you. In the strong name of Christ, we pray. Amen. You guys can have a seat. How you guys doing today? No, literally no one answered me when I asked that. How are you guys doing today? 
Good, good. Um, my name is Jesse. I'm the teaching pastor here at Fathom, and it's so good to see you guys. I see some new faces. We are so glad you are here. Um, I always say our goal is to trick you into staying, so um, hopefully you like us enough to come back. Um, we are in a series called James, and we have been working through this letter um, that James, the brother of Jesus, is, is writing to the church. And uh, as I said the first week when our staff got together and we were talking about what we wanted to preach through for the next year, um, all three of your pastors said, hey, we want to do James. We want to spend some time um, looking at this letter. Um, we just, I don't know, it was just kind of, it was a cool thing for us. Just we all kind of felt like, man, we really feel like this letter has something to speak to us. And so um, we launched our summer off with this series, and in the, in the first week, um, I launched us off by kind of covering the controversy that kind of follows James, and it's the controversy of faith versus works. Um, and, we, and we kind of concluded that works, they, 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 did, they don't justify us before God, but that works are really an outflow of our faith. And so James is writing to the church, and he's making it clear that there's, that there's really no separating works. And, and when, when I say works, what I'm talking about is I'm talking about, like, good deeds and, like, loving people and, like, living out the words of Jesus, like, living out the gospel, like, putting skin on it, making it a tangible thing, like, whether that's taking care of the poor or the widows or the orphans or you name it, feeding the hungry or doing whatever, like, those are works. Those are the good things that we're talking about. And so the kind of confusion comes in is when these works, we kind of do these things because we think if we do X, Y, and Z, then God will approve of us. And so there's kind of this, this mentality that finds its way into the church a lot where we think it's what we do that makes God accept us. And so we looked at Paul the first week and we looked at James and we said, really, that's not what's going on at all. We are justified. We are accepted simply because of Jesus. Nothing on what we have done does God accept us. Because if we're honest, we really don't have a ton to offer. You know, we, we, we're, we're kind of messed up people. And like, even if you're the best person in this room, compared to God, we just don't really measure up. And that's seemingly bad news. But the thing is that Jesus came and he made everything okay. He, he died for us and he accepted us into his family. And so we talked about how those faith and works, that they have to work together, but that the works, they don't justify us. What happens is when we've experienced that love and we've experienced Jesus, works begin to flow out of us. Fruit begins to come out of our lives. And we said that when you experience Jesus, you can't say, well, uh, nothing really changed. You can't say, well, there's nothing really different in my life. Because when you've experienced Jesus, Things have to change. That's the nature of who Jesus is, is he comes into our lives and he begins to shape us and mold us to be more like him. And so that's kind of what we talked about the first week. And then last week, Kyle moved us into the first chapter. We talked about how we have to be doers of the word and not just hearers of the word and, and, and how important that is and how Christ is calling us to not only listen but he's, and to be consumers of the word, but he's calling us to be producers producers of the word. And, and I'll tell you this week, I've been really thinking about that a lot. Um, I am a sermon junkie. Like, I, I have a problem. I will listen to sermons on podcast and YouTube, like, all the time. Like, some days I'll listen to, like, four or five 
maybe six sermons. I know it's weird. You guys are judging me for sure. But I love to listen to sermons. And I've been listening to this lady named Heidi Baker. And she's a missionary in Mozambique. And she's a speaker. And she just rocks my world. Like, I've just been, like, hearing her tell these amazing stories of God just showing up in the dirt and just transforming lives and doing all these things. And I was just listening to her. And I was feeling so inspired. And I was feeling just so stirred with what the gospel means and what the gospel means to the darkest and the hardest places in the earth. And, and I was so inspired by her, but I also got really upset. And I, and I just had this feeling, and I said, I'm so tired of hearing people talk about God showing up in really big, amazing ways. And, and I'm so tired of hearing about how people are embodying the gospel in really fantastic and radical ways. And, and I just had this feeling, it's not good enough anymore for me to listen to other people tell these stories. It's not good enough for me anymore to just embrace what other people are saying and be, man, that's awesome. I understand that God is now calling me to be a producer of those things. It's not enough for us to hear about God moving in really amazing ways in the earth. We have to begin to be, become vehicles where God moves through us. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Like it is, it is time for us to move from a place where we are hearers, and it's time for us to move into a place where we are doers. And so this whole last two weeks, I've just been kind of thinking about this, and I've been looking for ways that I can be a doer of the word. And so uh, I was telling some people the other day, I was driving down my neighborhood, and I saw this guy. Um, he had like a broken foot, and he had a, like a walker, and he was a younger guy, and he was not making it very far at all. Um, and I was just like, man, that guy needs help. Like he is not, he's literally moving like a foot like every minute or two. And I was just like, okay, I need to help this guy. And my first thought was like, okay, um, uh, I need to go and pray for this guy and see if God will heal his foot. That, that was my just thought. I was like, okay, it's time to like do something. Like I'm going to be a doer of the word. I believe God moves in the earth and he heals people and he, he's active. And so I said, okay, my first thought is I'm going to go, I'm going to go pray for this guy. And so I'm making eye contact with him and driving really slow and he's looking at me and like it's really uncomfortable. And so I start to get nervous and I'm just like, oh God. And so I just like, well, I'll just offer him a ride first. Like, that'll be my first step, and then I will then ask Jesus to heal him. And so um, I kind of, like, my window doesn't go down. It's broken, so I have to, like, lean over, and I open my door, and I was just like, hey, man. And he was just like, hey, dude, what's up? And he was really nervous, and I was just like, hey, do you, do you need a ride? And he was just like, no, no, I don't need a ride with you, man. And so I was just like, oh, well, if you don't get in the car, like, how am I going to, like, heal you? And I was trying to, like, figure this out. And, and then I was just like, oh, okay. And I just shut my door and, like, drove away. So I failed miserably with that. But it was a, it was a first step. It was the first step of taking a risk and taking a risk and, and letting God kind of show up in my life and, and, and work through me. It didn't really work out too well, but that was, that was a risk. And, and, and I just wanted to share that with you that um, it's not always easy to be doers of the word. And it's, and it's, it's something we have to build and it's, and it's kind of a process. And it's, it's this thing that, that um, you just have to begin to like change your mind a little bit throughout your day and kind of open your eyes and ask Jesus like, where, where can I show you today? Like, where can, I, where can I make you known today? Like, where can I be your hands and, and, and your feet in this city today? And, and uh, one thing, um, Heidi Baker, I've been listening to her, like I said, and she's always said, it's, you can be overwhelmed by the, by the 40 million people on our earth that 
that are, that are in need, that are, that are hungry, and, and, and you, you can be overwhelmed by that. But she said, God didn't really call you to the 40 million. She said, God called you for the one. She said, look for the one every day. Look for the one person that you can be Jesus to. And so that's what I'm trying to do, and I'm trying to grow that in my own life. And, and, and I hope you're doing it too, because I believe that God is calling this church not to be simply hearers of the word. Like, here we are today consuming the word. We're going to let God pour into us. But if we don't leave these doors, and we don't become a downspout for those words to become action, it's really just ultimately useless. And so today, as we continue into James chapter, chapter 2, we're going to get a chance to do. We're going to get a chance to be producers of the word in a very practical way. And this part of James' letter will, will challenge us where we are, and it's, and it's going to require us to take a look. It's going to require us to look really hard at the life in the way of Jesus, we're going to have to look at Jesus. We're going to have to look how he lived his life. We're going to hold it up to ourselves as a mirror, and we're going to compare ourselves. And we will have to ask ourselves the question today, as Christ followers, how much do we really look like Jesus? And, I, and I'm afraid we're, we're just not going to like our answers that we come up with. But that's okay. So we're going to be in James 2, starting with verse 1. It'll be on the screen, but you guys are welcome to turn to it. So James 2, chapter 1, writing to the church. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or you sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who loved him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. The royal law found in scriptures to love your neighbor as yourself. Let's pray one more time. Father, we just we thank you for this letter. We thank you for this word. And we thank you for the heart of James as he writes to the church and as he sees things that, that, that he understands that aren't pleasing to you. And he's, and he's writing in, in, in wisdom, and he's writing in correction, and he's writing so that the church will, will be more like you, that they, will, that they will go back to their reference point, and, and, and they will realize that you are creating a different kind of kingdom. And so to Father, as we read this scripture, and as we, we kind of wrestle, we just ask that you would help us not move past this too fast. 
Help us to slow down and, and begin to kind of take a self-inventory of, of what kind of life we really are living and what kind of ways we are spending our time and who we are spending our time with. So slow us down today, Father, as we jump into this letter and we dig deep into your word. May we be more like you in everything that we do. Strong name of Christ, we pray. Amen. This is why I love James. Um, he's writing in, in such a straightforward manner that there's really little confusion as to, you know, what he's saying. There's a lot of times in Scripture, like especially in the Old Testament, or, or, you, or you hear Jesus say something and you're like, what does that even mean? Like, I don't even, like, know some of those words, you know? Like, sometimes it's just, like, you have to really study and you have to really, like, discuss it and, like, talk it out. And you're like, what is happening here? But with James, a lot of times it's just really straightforward, and, and it's, it's one of those things, and, and you hear it, and you hear James say, you know, don't show favoritism to rich people, and, and don't be rude to the poor, and, and you say to yourself, yeah, of course, like, don't, yeah, I wouldn't be rude to, like, the poor guy, like, you know, I would, you know, I'd be nice, I'm a nice person, and, and I'm not going to show favoritism because how someone's dressed, I mean, like, who can disagree with this, right? This letter, like when you hear it and you're like, yeah, of course, James, like that's a really good point. Like, yeah, we, should, we all do that, right? But the danger here is that we will agree with James too easily and we'll just move on past this. And, and I think that we need to kind of sit with this passage a little bit. I think we need to just sit with it and I think we need to do some self-searching because don't fool yourself into thinking that, that you embrace what James is saying here so easily. Don't, don't just fool yourself into being like, oh yeah, I, I totally agree with you and I, I totally live my life like that because you, you might not actually be living the life that James is writing for you to live. See, I think James here is he's trying to provoke and he's, he's correcting the church and, and I believe we need to take heed to what he's saying. I think he's, he's speaking very clearly to the church in 2013 here in Jacksonville and I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking through that letter and he's wanting to affect us. He's wanting to affect the way we live our life. But James really isn't the first person to say something like this, is he? This, this idea that James is writing about, is, it's, it's kind of familiar. You know, these, these words sound familiar, like maybe we've heard them somewhere before. The, the idea that James is writing about here, that he's writing to the church, is, it's straight from the words and life of Jesus. And, and it kind of rings to that point when, when the man came to Jesus and he says, Teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And, and, and Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. I like that. It's, the first is love your God and then the second command is like it. It says love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. To love God and to love your neighbor. And, and, and Jesus here, when he's saying this, he's quoting the Old Testament, which shows us that this is, it's not a new idea that Jesus is, is bringing out. This is an idea that has been here from the beginning, that this idea that we were created to love God and then to love others, it's been at the heart and center of all creation from the very beginning. And so James here, is, he's, he's pointing back to Jesus. As he's writing to the church, he's saying, remember your reference point. Remember your reference point. Remember who we are trying to be like. Remember who we serve. This is James' ultimate goal. He says, remember the noble name of him to whom you belong. 
Remember your reference point. And as James writes, he's, he's probably writing about specific instances that he's, that he's aware of in the church. These instances that he's aware of and he's writing with the intention of reminding the church of their reference point and to correct and to change. It, but he's also reminding them of what kind of kingdom they are really a part of. You see what happens in, in the scriptures is, is Jesus came and we have these gospels and we get to see his life and his words and what he taught. And the rest of the scriptures, is, it's all centered around Jesus. It's all Jesus. The New Testament and the Old Testament, it is all pointing to Jesus. We believe here at Fathom that all of scripture is pointing us back to our reference point. Pointing us back to Jesus. And so as James writes, and he's reminding them of what kind of kingdom they are a part of, he says, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith, listen up, to inherit the kingdom that he, being Jesus, promised those who love him? You see what's happening here is there, there are two conflicting kingdoms. There are two conflicting kingdoms at work here, kingdoms that oppose each other. You see, in this society, the, the poor were, were oppressed. They, they got very little respect. And then the rich and the well-to-do, they, they received honor, and, and they were treated better than everyone else. That, that doesn't sound familiar, does it? And the, the, your worth as a person in the Roman Empire, it was, it was based on who you were and, and, and what you had to offer. And, and throughout the Roman Empire, the poor and the, the sick and, and, and those who were kind of on the underside of power those who didn't really have much to offer, they were just kind of considered trash. And there was this very clear hierarchy that emerged out of the empire. And, and, and it wasn't only the Roman Empire that embraced this idea, because the religious spirit, it also kind of came in, the system, and it had a very clear line. It had a very clear hierarchy of honor and dishonor. And the, the religious elite and the religious system at the time had a very clear line of who was in and who was out. There's something about the religious spirit that loves to draw lines in the sand. There's something about the religious spirit that loves to draw lines in the sand and say, you're in, you're in, you're out, you're out, oh, you're in, you're out. There's something about religion that loves that. It grabs a hold of that idea and it runs with it. And it's always funny, the person who's kind of drawing the line in the sand, they're always in, aren't they? You know, they're never really on the outside. You see, there were people in this society that it was totally acceptable to talk to and, and eat with and, and, and interact with. And, and those were people who were worthy to receive honor. But at the same time, there were people who it just wasn't even appropriate to talk to. You weren't even supposed to be seen with certain kinds of people because they were pushed to the outside. They were pushed to the margins, and they kind of became the invisible. But, but James is writing here because he sees the church embracing the wrong kingdom. He sees the church embracing the wrong system, and, 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 he, and he sees Christ followers embracing the rich, and ignoring the poor. And so James here, he's working to level the playing field. And he's saying, believers, don't show favoritism. Don't buy into the system of this world. 
And, and, and maybe you're thinking to yourself, you know, I've never been in a situation like this. I've never had, you know, a rich guy with a huge gold ring and a poor guy in my house. And I've, this, is, this just doesn't, the situation that James is writing about doesn't apply to me. And I get that. James is being really specific. There's not a lot of people that wear huge gold rings anymore. Um, I don't know if that's unfortunate or if that's a good thing. But, um, you know, I, I get that. James is being very specific here. But I think we need to be honest. We live in a society that is consumed with image. We live in a society that is consumed with image. We care deeply what people think about us. We care deeply about how we look. And we care deeply about who we are associated with. It matters to us. It matters a lot. And it mattered in Jesus' day as well. But the thing about Jesus is he's always doing the counterintuitive thing. Jesus comes in and he's always turning things upside down. He's always showing a different way. And and the Roman Empire and the the religious mindset of the day says, honor and love those who have something to offer. Those who have earned it. Welcome them to your table. Love them. Honor them. But Jesus says, honor and love those who have nothing to offer. That bring nothing to the table. Jesus says, those are the people you are to invite. You see, Jesus is creating an upside-down kingdom here. He's taking what, what exists, and he says, no, 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 my kingdom is so different. My kingdom is so different from this. And Jesus was constantly breaking the rules. I love Jesus. He's constantly breaking the rules. He's constantly making people so mad. If you just read throughout the Gospels, people are always, they're always trying to kill him. They just, any town he goes into, they're just, people start picking up stones. They're just mad. And he's always inviting people to his table that are unacceptable. He's constantly eating with those who society deemed unlovable. He's constantly touching people that were considered untouchable. And Jesus said, this is why I am here. I am here for these people. I am here for these people that you have said are not worthy. The people that you have said are dirty and messed up. I am here for them. These are the ones who are inheriting my kingdom. This is what my kingdom is built on. This is why I exist. And I want to look at a story out of Luke 19, and I think it's going to, once we dig into it, it's going to make a lot of sense, and it's just going to show what James is talking about here and and, and how he's pointing us back to our reference point. So Luke 19, verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Let's just stop there. Like, it's seeming that I, that I wouldn't choose this story about a wealthy man. Um, it it's, might say, well, this is a bad point to make because Zacchaeus is, has a lot of money. But I think with some background, once we dig into what's really going on here, we're going to see that this is a perfect example of how Jesus consistently invites those on the outside in. Okay, so we're going to continue on. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. Did you guys ever sing that song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man? Anybody sing that? You guys didn't? Okay. Anyway, we're not going to sing it, I promise. Um, He wanted to see Jesus, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. 
When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down and at once welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He is gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And and the thing that makes this so interesting and and why people got so mad that Jesus said, Hey, Zacchaeus, I want to go to your house. I mean, he enters into a town and there's, there's all these people there that are, that are honorable people. There are people there, there are the religious elite and there are people who are wealthy. And, and what would happen is when there was a rising teacher, there was a rising rabbi, when they would come to the town, the, the noble people, they would have him over to his house. It would be a sign of honor that I'm having this popular teacher come over to my house. And that would be a great sign of honor. And so when somebody like Jesus comes into the town, everybody's hoping, maybe I can get Jesus to come to my house. Maybe I can spend time with Jesus because I have earned it. I'm somebody special. Of course Jesus will want to spend time with me. But Jesus comes in and he he changes everything. And he says, no, that system, that's not how my system works. That's not how how my kingdom works. And he he chooses this guy, Zacchaeus, who's who's a tax collector. And the thing about Zacchaeus Everybody hates him. Everybody hates Zacchaeus, and, and I'll tell you why. He's, he, he's a Jewish man, and he's, and he's living in a Jewish society that's being oppressed by the Roman Empire. And so the Roman Empire has come in, and they've taken over everything, and, and they are taxing the people. They are taxing the people to exhaustion. And so what the Roman Empire did is they would hire people from the community, and they would say, okay, we want you to go collect taxes for us. We want this amount of money from this region. So as long as you're giving us this amount of money, you're good. You can take as much as you want over that. So what Zacchaeus is, is he's pretty much a sellout. Zacchaeus is a sellout. The Roman Empire has come in and they've hired him. And he's sold out his people. He's making money off of his own people. And so people hate tax collectors. Like, they are the lowest of the low. Like, in the biblical society, tax collectors are low. Like, they are lower than anything you could think of. Like, they are the most despised person in the neighborhood. And so when Jesus comes and says, hey, Zacchaeus, I want to spend time with you. I want to go to your table, and ultimately I'm inviting you to my table. I'm inviting you into my life. People didn't understand that. They were so confused. They're like, okay, if this is this guy Jesus, and they're trying to figure out, like, who is this Jesus? Is, is, is he a Messiah? Is, is he just a teacher? Like, and they're trying to figure it out. And so, they, so he's, he's a holy man, but then he's, he's doing all these seemingly unholy things. And so everybody is incredibly mad. Jesus is turning the system upside down. He's saying, I'm not, I'm not here to, to spend my time with the people who, who, you, who you deem honorable. I'm not here to spend my time with the people who have something to offer me. I am here for the outsider. I exist to bring the outsider in. This is what Jesus does. Jesus hangs out with drunks. He hangs out with sex workers. He hangs out with busted up people. Jesus welcomes in the weak 
He brings in those who have nothing to offer. And he invites the lowly, the lowly like those on the down and out. He invites those people to his table. Because at Jesus' table, all are welcome. That's why Jesus came. He came to invite those who are on the outside in. He said, I want you to come. I want you to come and experience me. I want you to come and see what my kingdom is about because in my kingdom, you are why I'm here. Like my kingdom exists to be with those on the outside, those who don't have anything to offer. And so as Christ followers, as people who have been invited in, people who, who had nothing to offer as we talked about, you know, and a holy God, and then we're kind of a messed up people. We don't have a ton to offer. But Jesus invites us in. And so as Christ followers, we have to ask ourselves this question. Who are you inviting to your table? Who are you inviting to your table? Like if you guys were to have a dinner, if you were about to, if you were about to have a party, you were about to have a feast, think about the people you would invite. Like just like start scrolling through like your friends. Like think about the people that you would invite to your party. And, and, and then I want you to think about who are those that, that you wouldn't want to be seen with? Who are those that, that, that you have kind of labeled as outsiders? Like look at your line in the sand and, and, and start to think about those who, who are on the other side. Those that we have labeled the other the outsider, those that we have labeled as disgusting or, or, or unworthy or just like, man, like I can't believe they would do that and just write them off. Think about those people on the outside. And, and, and I just want you to just take a minute and think about those in our society that we have labeled less than. Just take a moment and just, just think about those that we have labeled as less than. And um, I mean, you can totally BS yourself here and pretend that you don't do that. But we all do it. I do it. We all have prejudices. We all do it. And so let me ask you this. And this is kind of a hard question, and it's kind of, it's, it's tough. But here's a question that I think we all need to be asking ourselves daily as Christ followers, as Christians, as people who are a part of the church. And I want to ask you, how many non-Christians do you know? Like, how many non-Christians are you in active relationships with? Because what's happened in the church is we've, we've cut ourselves off so much that, that we have a Christian version of everything. Like, we could live in just our little Christian bubble. Like, I don't know, do you guys ever have a testament? Like, they had to make Christian candy. Like, you know, like, Tic Tacs weren't good enough. We had to create our own Christian candy so that we would, you know, kind of be separate. And there's, there's a Christian version of everything, and there's this whole bizarre subculture of Christianity where we have all of this stuff. And we could live our lives in that bubble if we wanted to. And I think what's happening is, is the church is doing that. We've cut ourselves off from so much that we're not actually interacting with our neighbors, we're not actually interacting with those that we've, we've made the line. And there's a whole generation of people out there that we have labeled as others. And we are not interacting with them. We are not loving them. We are not being friends with them. We are not inviting them to our table. 
But Jesus says, these people on the other side of the line, that's why I came. I came to save the lost. And James is writing here and he says, believers, don't show favoritism. Erase that line in the sand. Don't buy into the kingdom that the Roman Empire is trying to sell you. Don't buy into the system that the religious are trying to sell you. Jesus is calling you to cross that line. He's calling you to go to those others. Because really, those others have faces and they have names. And Jesus is calling you to love them and to embrace them and to invite them to your table. Literally, invite them, eat them, eat with them, do things with them. Because I believe the church is it's kind of falling, it's, it's falling prey to like the spirit of incest. Like it's this, this idea that we're staying within the realm of our family, our church family, this safe place. And we're, we're just kind of looking within each other and we are not creating healthy offspring. When we stay on this side of the line, When we stay in the safety net and we begin to show favoritism to those who fit into our safe circles, we're missing the point. We have bought into the wrong kingdom. And Jesus and James here today, he is telling us and he's asking us, he says, please remember your reference point. And as the band comes, we're going to begin to close here. But James is inviting us to remember our reference point. He's saying, remember what kind of kingdom you are a part of. Remember the kingdom that you're a part of and that it is counterintuitive to everything that our world says is right. Jesus comes in and he turns everything upside down. And what we have to remember and what we have to understand before we can even begin to take the step over the line that we've drawn is we have to remember that we were once on the outside of that line. We were once on the outside. We were once considered outcasts. And, and, and Ephesians tell us that, that we were dead in our sin. That we were just spiritual corpses. And there was, we had nothing to offer God. A corpse doesn't have anything to offer. We're just, you're just dead. But what it says is that because of God's great love and mercy, he sent his son Jesus to rescue us. And, he, and, and his, Jesus came and he lived a perfect life and he He walked among us and he taught us and and he he ultimately died on a Roman cross for us. And he he secured justification for us, salvation, the rescue plan. That we were broken and messed up people separated from God, but Jesus came and made a way that we are now invited into the family of God. And there was a line drawn in the sand because of the brokenness in our earth. When Adam and Eve sinned and we've just continued it and there's been a line separating us from God. But Jesus came and he just stepped over that line. And he started to rescue people. He just started to rescue people and started to grab people. And he started to invite people to his table. And he said, come and experience what it's like to be a child of mine. A son, a daughter who Jesus loves. And so Jesus is speaking to you today and he's saying, I love you. You are my son, you are my daughter, and you are beloved. I am well pleased with you because when Jesus and God looks at you, he doesn't see your trash anymore. He just simply sees the righteousness of Jesus and and that we are covered in his blood and that we are safe and that no one can pluck us from the hand of God. So that's the first thing we need to understand is that we've been rescued 
and that Jesus crossed the line for us and he brought us in. But now he's asking you to do something else. He's asking you to to take a step over that line that you've made. And he's saying, go out. Don't show favoritism. Don't, don't, Don't honor those who who have something to offer you. And, and we do that, you know? Like, we, we, we love to be around people that, that make us, uh, that, that validate us, that, that make us feel like we are somebody of worth. Um, the church has got to, we've got to figure that out. We've got to figure out where our worth comes from. Our worth doesn't come from our, from our, our pockets or what car we drive or, or what clothes we wear. That's, that's, it doesn't matter. All that stuff's going to fade away. But our worth and our identity is simply comes from Jesus. And if so, if we can, get, we can get lost in all that stuff. I mean, we live in just a society that's consumed with image. I, I, I love hip-hop music. I really do. I love rap, and uh, I really love Drake. And uh, whenever I listen to him um, or I listen to other rappers, I just, there's this, like, pool inside of me that I, like, want that lifestyle, which is kind of funny. Like, I dream about just being in, like, a rapper's crew and just hanging out with them. Um, I don't think I would fit in very well. They'd just be like, what's this guy doing? But like, I feel that pull, that, that I want to be a person of, of worth in the eyes of the world. You know, I want to be somebody who has money, and I want to be somebody who, who when, I, when I walk into a room, people are like, oh, there's Jesse. Look at all the things he has, and I want to be a part of that. But Jesus is saying, that's not what my kingdom's about. Your worth and your identity come from me. Your identity as a son and a daughter of the Most High God is all that matters. So throw away all that junk and begin to love those on the outside. Begin to invite those who don't have much to offer. The poor. They're everywhere, folks. I mean, I live by downtown and uh, I go down for lunch and in the square there. There's literally just hundreds of people who, who don't have homes and they, they struggle to find food and, and, and they've got issues they got tons of issues, but man, when I look at them and I just see them, like, I just have this, like, intense feeling of, like, love, and I, and I ask God sometimes, just like, hey, let me see, let me see all these people how you see them. Let me just kind of see them through your eyes today, and uh, every once in a while, um, I'll look up from my self-consumed world, and, and I'll get to view people how Jesus views them, and um, that's what we need to start doing as the church. Don't show favoritism. Embrace those on the outside, those who you said were out, those who you said were unlovable. Become become friends. Become friends with somebody different than you. Invite them in. Invite them to your table. Have meals with people. It's so simple, but yet so profound and so hard. Let's pray. Father, James' words for us today are, uh, they're hard. Um, it's hard to love people sometimes. It's so easy to just stay within our safety net and our safe bubble and just go about our day. But we, we understand that you're calling us to more, that you're calling us to risk. You're calling us to step out. Let us be people of integrity not people of perceived integrity. We want to be people of real integrity, people that live like we are a part of a different kingdom, a different world. Help us not to buy the lies of our society that, that wealth rules and that, that power rules. 
because your kingdom is, is about the lowly and, and the poor and, and the weak. Help us to be people that, that do that, that love the widows, that love the orphans, true religion, the heart of God. Help us to embrace that. We want to make you known in this earth. So use, use us, your humble vessels. In the strong name of Christ we pray. Amen. Love you guys more than you know. <laughs>